Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Light of the East is also funded by a grant from the Koch Foundation. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Hopefully you're really getting into the penitential season in preparation for the birth of our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. In the Latin rite, it's called Advent, of course, but it is still penitential. That was its original character. It's taken on a kind of a more joyful or lighter kind of penance, but nonetheless, it still is penitential. This is why in the Latin rite, the color purple is used in church. In the Eastern churches, it is definitely penitential. In fact, it's called the Philip's Fast or the Fast of the Apostle Philip. The reason why we call it that is only because it's kind of funny, actually. It has nothing to do with St. Philip, except for the fact it begins on the Feast of St. Philip on that evening. So, in other words, the evening of November 14th. November 14th is the Feast of St. Philip the Apostle in the Byzantine calendar, and on that evening begins our Philip's Fast, our penitential period between that point and Christmas itself. And as we enter into that, and use that term purposely, enter into or immerse ourselves, as we enter into that penitential season, so as to enter more seriously, more authentically, more transformatively into the feast of the birth of Christ, the coming of Christ, the incarnation, we celebrate a beautiful feast of the entrance, the entering of the Virgin Mary into the temple. This happened when she was three years old. The earliest source for this is what's called the pro-evangelium of St. James. In other words, it's a gospel of St. James, which of course is not part of the four gospels, the official gospels, inspired gospels in the Bible. But it's something that kind of ran parallel early on in the church. We don't know who the actual author is, but he identified himself as the apostle St. James the Less, first bishop of Jerusalem. Who knows? Maybe it was, and we don't know. Now, this source is not considered to be officially inspired, so it didn't get into the Bible. However, it is a source in which a long, long tradition was drawn from. And in fact, it goes all the way back to the fathers of the fourth century of the church, people like St. Gregory of Nyssa and St. Epiphania, St. Cyril of Alexandria. Now, that's a pretty weighty source. 
if they were drawing from this gospel of James, there must be something to it. And what the fathers taught, what they passed down to us is this, that the Virgin Mary was brought to the temple at age three, and she ran up the steps of the temple into the arms of the priest, Zechariah, who was the father of St. John the Baptist. So they were related. And she lived in that temple. She was raised in that temple, fed by angels until it was time for her to, of course, become betrothed to Joseph and be, in fact, the virgin mother of Jesus Christ. Now, again, this is not in Scripture. It is in a long and ancient venerable tradition, so there has to be some truth to it. After all, all these great fathers of the church with their great wisdom and their great scrutiny of the Scriptures, they would not have ascribed to something that was just a fairy tale. There had to have been something else to it. But in all these kinds of sources where they're not in Scripture, but they're very traditional, very ancient, what is always there, though, is the meaning, the significance, the theological significance of the event. And that's why in the church, we maintain feast days that are based largely on these traditional sources, even though they're not in the Scripture itself. But they don't contradict Scripture. They always have the essence of what is in Scripture and the essence, the theological essence of the feast itself. So the entrance of the Virgin Mary is a very important one theologically even though it's based on a long ancient tradition that's not in the Scripture itself. And we're going to look at some of the liturgical texts, as we always do, to get the real significance, the meaning of this feast. This feast that's actually very close to my heart because it's just just beautiful. It's very enchanting. And it's got a lot of imagery, a lot of allegorical typology and hymnography. And we're going to look at some of that to see what is significant. As always, These sources are significant for us, not just in and of themselves. They are in and of themselves, but they're significant because they're relevant to us. Remember, the key word here is entering. We've entered into the Philip's fast, immersion, entrance, transfiguration. These are the concepts that are very, very dear, very much at the heart of Eastern Christian spirituality, which, of course, is our goal here on Light of the East, to share the riches of the Eastern churches and Western churches, but primarily the Eastern churches. So in the East, words like immersion, divinization, transformation, transfiguration, these are words that are very much at the heart of the theology, the spirituality of the East. And that's why this feast day is such a brilliant one for us and why I love it so much. In the liturgical text, and this is where we always go, because What we believe is how we pray and vice versa. If we pray it, we must believe it, especially in the Eastern traditions, because our prayer in liturgical worship is our theology. We're basically singing or chanting our theology. So it says here that today the maidens rejoice, carrying lamps. They piously escort Mary, the spiritual lamp, into the Holy of Holies. This is a foreshadowing of the splendid light that will shine forth from her the light that will enlighten all who sit in the darkness of ignorance. Now, there's a veiled reference to a passage in Isaiah, which says, those who live in darkness shall see the light. And it also is, of course, an allegorical typology for, as it says right here, Christ, the true light, the light that will shine forth from her, of course, is Jesus Christ. So we do a lot of this kind of playing on the concept She comes into the temple so that she herself can become the living temple. She is the spiritual lamp that foreshadows the splendid light that will shine forth from her. Now, another area is 
the reference to the Old Testament temple, because in the Old Testament temple, you had the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle. In the Christian church, of course, that tabernacle becomes that vesicle that hosts the living presence of Jesus Christ. In other words, the consecrated bread that stays in repose. And the Latin Rite Church, there is the great custom of Eucharistic adoration, where they expose the Eucharist from the tabernacle. It's usually in a monstrance put out in front where it can be seen, and people come and pray before that in the presence of that Eucharist that they can also see. And great things have happened to people who do that. In fact, my understanding is that in the Latin Rite, many vocations come from churches that have rediscovered and really live this custom of Eucharistic adoration, especially churches that have it 24 hours a day. In the Eastern churches, we don't have the Eucharistic adoration in the same sense. We do have, of course, this custom of being in the presence of our Lord in the church through the icons which surround you, but also Christ in the tabernacle. In the Eastern churches, we don't expose the Eucharist per se, but the Eucharist is always present in the church, in the tabernacle, and that tabernacle is always on the main altar, the altar of sacrifice. But that tabernacle in the Old Testament gave rise then to the Virgin Mary, because the Virgin Mary had the same thing as a tabernacle. She had the presence of God within her. In the Old Testament, remember, it was the Ark of the Covenant. That's why we refer to the Virgin Mary as the Ark of the Covenant, oftentimes. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? Those things which manifested the presence of God in the Old Testament, such as the Jar of Manna, the Rod of Aaron. These things were in the tabernacle, or the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the holiest place in the temple. Now that gives rise to the Virgin Mary, who becomes the living tabernacle. And now we have in our churches, East and West, tabernacles, that have, as the Virgin Mary had, within them the presence of Christ, the real presence. In the prayers for this feast, it says, Today the heavens above greatly rejoice, and let the clouds pour down gladness at the mighty and marvelous acts of our God. For behold, the gate that looks towards the east, born from a fruitless and barren womb, according to the promise, and consecrated to God as his dwelling, is now being brought into the temple as a spotless offering. Now, that's loaded with Old Testament references. First of all, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, chapters 43 to 44, which describe the temple, and it talks about this gate that looks east that no one could enter except the prince. And of course, that is symbolic or foreshadowing Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. So too, the Virgin Mary, no one entered her as a living tabernacle. She, of course, remained a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. So what is in the temple, the East Gate, that only the prince could go through, becomes now the Virgin Mary, that only Christ could enter God himself, her womb, and be born of her. Remember, even Joseph could not touch her, could not touch the living tabernacle of God. We also hear about the barren womb that now brought forth life. And this, again, echoes several persons in the Old Testament. Also, the prophet Samson, when they were born, they were consecrated to God. And we get in the New Testament, or actually on the sort of the cusp of the New Testament with St. John the Baptist. His birth and conception also was miraculous. He was the only child born of his parents, and again, anointed, consecrated to God. Now we have the Virgin Mary 
giving birth through Jesus Christ, who is the anointed one, the consecrated one. When we come back, we're going to talk more about this beautiful, glorious feast of the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Every day, Father Loya posts a brief two-minute Facebook video on the Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish homepage. You'll be amazed at what you can learn just by watching. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at byzantinecatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $20 or more, which includes shipping and handling to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you This is Archbishop Salvatore Cordiglione of the Archdiocese of San Francisco, and you are listening to Light of the East. The Tabor Life Institute, which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's TaborLife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host, entering with you into the temple as we enter into more deeply this preparation for Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ. I really hope that you take very seriously, listen carefully to our program today, but also to my basic message that I like to communicate to my parishioners, but also to all of you listening on this radio program, and I thank you for listening. I really, really wish and urge people to take this preparation of Christmas seriously and Christmas itself, the whole Christmas season, meaning to immerse ourselves into what it really is. And we do that through the liturgy of the church, through the, the feast days like today, what we're talking about, this entrance of the Virgin Mary into the temple, her preparation to become the living temple, because that's what we're supposed to become. As Christ comes into this world, remember, when we celebrate something in the church, a feast day such as the birth of Christ. We're not celebrating or remembering something that happened in the past. And so we're joyful and we're happy and, we're, and we party and we visit and we bring presents and so on. It's okay, but it's not really what we're doing. 
We're entering into the transformative, salvific significance and mystery of that event as though it is happening for the first time right now. In other words, we are the shepherds. We are the wise men. We are Joseph. We are there at that moment being struck with wonder and being transformed. So we should. And since this is the coming of God himself in the flesh into our existence, it only makes sense. It is only proper then to prepare ourselves for that, to adopt a posture of receptivity, but one that is cleansed and purified. That means we go to confession. We fast. We abstain. We try to have more time for prayer and silence, not just taking on, shopping, consuming, eating, partying. It's not just constant festivity. It does have that, but not yet. We have to move into this by being open to our own transformation, to receive God into us. If you receive God into you, what does that do? It brings this brilliant presence, this transformative light into us, cleanses us, makes us new children of light. Not children of materialism, of overeating and drinking and shopping, but children of light who are transformed. That's why Christ came. Now, in this feast day, in some of the beautiful liturgical texts, we find other things besides references to the Old Testament, you know, the foreshadowing of this event, but also some more theological significance, such as these verses. It says, You were consecrated to God, O Virgin Mary, even before your conception. Now, after your birth, you are offered as a gift to him in fulfillment of the promise of your parents. You are a divine temple and are brought to the temple of God. As a young child, you have appeared in the temple, accompanied by the brightly burning lamps. You have shown yourself to be the dwelling of the unapproachable divine light. Truly magnificent is your entrance, O only bride of God and ever virgin. Now, what I just read there is a liturgical text, which, of course, is our prayer. And it is these texts upon which the proclamation of the Immaculate Conception was made by the Pope. That's right. Notice what I said? You were consecrated to God, O pure virgin, even before your conception. Now after birth, you are offered as a gift to him. And it says you are a divine temple. Does the temple dirty? Does the temple have sin? No, it's pure. It's, the, it's a place for the presence of God. How does your temple look? How do you treat a temple? And temple, by the way, is the proper word for church. That's right, even for a Catholic, Christian, Orthodox church. A temple is a place where sacrifice is offered. And the sacrifice of the liturgy or the mass, you know, the Eucharistic sacrifice, east or west, happens in a temple. Now, you've heard of synagogue. The synagogue was a place of teaching of the word, but the temple was where the sacrifice took place. And that's really what our churches are. They're temples. And how does that temple seem to you? Does it seem clean and perfect and holy? Is there only holy action that goes on in there? Of course. And so the Virgin Mary, being the temple and being even before conception consecrated to God, has to mean that she was without sin. And this is how they came to proclaim the Immaculate Conception from this ancient text from this feast day. Now, it also says this, Human nature inherited the misdeem from Eve of old. Now that Theotokos has flowered from Eve's stock, she is our restoration and incorruption. And today she is brought forth into the temple of the Lord. Another reference to now original sin. Human nature inherited what? In the Western church, part of what we inherited from the sin of Adam and Eve was guilt. 
In the West, emphasis is not so much guilt as it is a fallen nature, a nature that it can be prone to and lives amidst a fallen world. And human nature inherited that from Eve. Human nature inherited that from Eve. So the Virgin Mary now becomes the new Eve. This is why it says she has flowered from Eve's stock. She is our restoration and incorruption. We jump a little bit ahead now to the scene of Christ on the cross when he says to his mother, not mother, but woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. When he says woman, he refers to Eve. Eve was the name really for woman. The Virgin Mary at the crucifixion now becomes the mystical new Eve. Christ on the cross becomes the mystical new Adam. And together they reconceive mystically the human race because God had to come down and do it himself. Well, his first Adam and Eve, his first humans, blew it. They failed. So he came and did it himself. He came and became the new Adam but because he loved us so much. Although the human race disappointed him, Adam and Eve and all humans after that betrayed him, disappointed him, frustrated his plan, out of his love, he would still choose a human person to cooperate with him for his plan of salvation to be fulfilled. God was adamant. God was committed to his plan of goodness, salvation, being worked out, even if he had to come down and do it himself, which he did in the form of the new Adam, but he still did it in cooperation with us, his creatures that betrayed him. What an incredible love is demonstrated in that action. It's so incredible you can't even describe it. That's why I've been used and referred to liturgical texts on this program quite a bit, as you notice, because liturgical texts are filled with theology, allegory, poetry, analogies, and so on that help to communicate a mystery that is even greater than we can articulate with just mere words or in any other way. It shows you the regard that God had for us. Now, now we're getting to why I'm so adamant and I'm begging you to really get into the real meaning of Christmas and its preparation because we're talking about really our immersion, our celebration of this unbelievable act of love, of intimacy by God himself, life and love coming into our existence and transforming us. This has to transform you. You have to be able to say on December 26th and thereafter, I am a deeper, better, more loving, more Christ-like person than I was on December 24th, 23rd, 20th, November, October, you know, going backwards. I am more transformed because I have in a more intimate way by entering into the feast of Christmas and its preparation, I've entered into that and precisely through that, I am changed. I am transfigured. It's like when you put nutritious food in your body. You put good things in your body. What happens to your body? It's transformed. It becomes strong and healthy. And if you put things that are not good, or if you don't put anything in your body, it becomes weak and sickly. Well, it's the same thing with Christmas. We're putting or allowing Christ to come into our body, our soul, our heart. And just as good food or medicine or vitamins transforms our body, heals it, so too does the presence of God. That is what you want to live for. That's what you want to see during Christmas time. Have I been transformed? Have I helped others to be transformed? 
Have I been touched by the reality incarnation of God? And this is why we have so much preparation for that, to get our minds right, to get into it, to immerse ourselves into it, especially with beautiful feast days like this one of the entrance of the Mother of God into the temple. Let's look at some more liturgical text. We can go on a long time with this. At your holy entrance into the temple, of virgin, the whole world was astonished. For you, O pure temple, who has not known wedlock, have gone into the temple of God, granting peace to all who sing your praises. Now there's a reference again to her virginity, her perpetual virginity. As she entered the temple, the world was astonished. And she was raised, they said she was raised and fed by angels in that temple until, as I mentioned, it was time for her to go and become betrothed to Christ. There is an interesting conversation that happens in the liturgical text between St. Anne and Zechariah. When Anne escorted the most pure temple into the house of God, she spoke these words in faith to the priest. Take the child given to me by God and lead her into the temple of your creator and sing to him joyfully all, all your works to the Lord. Bless the Lord. Upon seeing Anne, Zechariah said to her, You now escort here the true mother of life, whom the prophets of God proclaimed in times past as a Theotokos. How shall the temple contain her? Therefore in wonder I cry out, All your works to the Lord. Bless the Lord. May this time be a time where you too are in wonder as Anne and Zechariah were as we prepare to be transfigured, to receive the living God and become ourselves temples of God. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. News from around the world as it happens. Religious liberty, immigration, prayer, plus daily reports from the White House, Capitol Hill, and Rome. Get the Catholic News perspective on the things that impact your life on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!